Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Walk in Grace series, which goes through Ephesians 2 through 5. We hope that this message will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God has used it in your life. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, and when you, uh, if you've been with us on Sunday mornings, of course we were in the book of Ephesians at the beginning of the year, then we took a a four-week time period and went into the book of Exodus, and now we're back into Ephesians, and uh, we've been learning all about the, uh, the grace of God or the strength of God to go through life. I was listening to a friend of mine preach this morning, and he said, have you ever had a series of events where it just felt like life kept punching you. And uh, all of us have been there, haven't we? Man, we've all had those days where we're just, we're thinking, man, I don't know how much more I can take. I don't know how much more I could go through or how much more I can face. Uh, Aren't you thankful that God, he doesn't run out of grace? What does that mean? That means that God gives you strength for the journey that he has in front of you. He's going to strengthen you. And of course, we went through the the first series was rich in grace, understanding that that God's grace never runs out. And now we're in this short study, just a few weeks of called walk in grace or to live in grace. That every day I I can, if I can say this way, I can tap into the grace and the strength that God wants to give to me. I want to give you a secret, all right? A secret for the Christian life. And it's not that big of a secret. God doesn't expect you to live your life on your own. As a matter of fact, God doesn't want that. God doesn't want you to wake up every day thinking, I've got this. God wants you to wake up, wants me to wake up every day thinking, God, I need you to have this. God, I, God, I don't got this. It's bad grammar, but I said it. God, I can't do this, and I need your grace and your strength. And that's when God says, okay, now you're at the perfect place for me to work. And so we, we jumped back into Ephesians chapter 4 last week. And last week, if you were with us, we learned that God, he gives us strength to resemble him. Man, to make us like Jesus, Paul wrote to the believers at at the the churches in Rome, he said that once you get saved, the Holy Spirit moves into your life, and then God helps you become more and more and more like him. And we were challenged to resemble God through a uh, godly life, which is a life of humility and gentleness and a life of patience and a life of peace. And last week, we were challenged to resemble him by living a life that builds up other people. Man, Jesus came to this world not to be ministered unto, but to minister, to serve people. And you and I can live a life that resembles him in that way. And then we were encouraged to resemble the Heavenly Father by just continuing to grow in him. And and, uh, Paul wrote to the believers at Ephesus that, hey, there's gonna come a day when you are completely mature in the Lord, but that day is not gonna be until you're dead. So in this life, just keep growing, and we looked into that last week. And today, we're going to come back into this study, Ephesians chapter number four. Before we get into our passage, I wonder, have you ever had a time in your life when you were told that what you were doing was the wrong way to do it? Never. You've never had that happen. I've had it happen once. All right, I've had it happen a lot of times. But one story in particular that I want to tell you about is when I was a kid. Now, if you have been around my mom, (laughs) 
I'm, 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 tread, I'm, I know, I'm thinking, I'm just processing, I want to say it right. My mom can be bossy. Did I say it okay? Is that, yeah, that's good, all right. My dad would have said amen. He's amening right now in heaven. Uh, you know what, my mom growing up, uh, she's very particular about some things. Two of those things are cleaning and laundry. My mom is very particular about laundry. I can remember being a five and a six-year-old uh, boy growing up in the house that my mom, uh, we actually, now maybe you do this, maybe you don't, but according to my mom, who's always right in this, okay? As I'm just laying that right now because this is the right way. My mom, um, she had a basket for whites. Everybody's, there's an Amber Alert going out on everybody's phones right now. The person's not in here, so you can just mute the phone. Um, my mom, she had a basket for good whites. So that's like the clothes that always stay really white. They're not dingy. She can put bleach in it, whatever. We had a basket for whites. We had a basket for, mom called it grubby whites. It's your grubbies. It's your, it's your fun clothes. It's your t-shirts that you, you're only gonna wear until they get ripped and all grass stained up and then she's gonna throw it away or make a cleaning rag out of it. That's the grubby whites. And then we had one for nice darks and then we had one for your grubby darks. We had four baskets and at times there would be a fifth or even a sixth for towels and white towels and colored towels and dark black towels. And we had, we had mama's, or am I lying? This is pretty good. Okay. Wait, I'm lying pretty good? Oh, okay. Man, I'm so confused. Did I dream this? No. She had all of these things, and it was very particular in our house. Well, I didn't care. So I would go in, and if I had laundry, I w I'm supposed to sort my own laundry, and she taught us how to do laundry when we were kids, and uh, kids learn how to do your own laundry, Parents, you'll love it. Anyway, we did this, and I, I would go in, and I'm like, all right, clean, I mean, uh, you know, bright whites, grubby whites, dark. This is too confusing. I'd just take my basket, and I'd be like, hopefully it works, you know, and just spread it out. And mom would come, and she, it's, it was inevitable. Mom would go, now, uh, Johnson, it's my middle name. And if I hear that, I'm like, I'm in trouble again, which I heard it a couple of times every hour. She'd say, Johnson, and I'd come in there, and she'd go, now, all right, now we've talked through this. Is this how we do laundry? Like, yep. She's like, no, this isn't how we do laundry, and she'd, she would show me again. She'd, now, now the right way is this, and she would do that. Well, then the laundry would come out clean, and we would fold it. My dad had a particular way about folding his T-shirts, which now I have. But my dad had a particular way about folding his T-shirts, and if you were folding it the wrong way, he'd just go, no, 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 and take the T-shirt and be like, let me show you how to fold it. When I was a teenager and a kid, I was like, dad, who cares It's a T-shirt? Now I'm the dad, and I'm like, dude, give me my T-shirts. You are not folding my T-shirt to my kids. There's, there's a proper way to do that. All of us have those situations in our, story, our stories in life when somebody had to show us the right way of doing things. 
We have a saying in our house. There was a movie that Hannah and I watched years ago. And uh, one of the characters on the movie, somebody's doing something the wrong way. And he sits down and he says, okay, now let me show you how to do this in what we like to call the right way. And he goes, proceeds to do that. So now that's in our house. When somebody's so with t-shirts, now I say, okay, let me show you how to do this with what I like to call the right way. As I come to Ephesians chapter number four, I find Paul writing to the believer. Hey, you've been traveling through life one way. Let me show you what we like to call the right way. Like, let me show you how God intends for you to travel through life. Let me ask you a question to think about this morning. Do you care? Do you care to give ear to the one who created life? Do you care to give ear to him, to listen to him on how you should travel through life? I think it'd be wise for us to be, yeah. Yeah, I do. Why? God created life. And so if there's this, if there's this special key to traveling through life, I wanna know what it is. That's where we come in Ephesians chapter number four. I believe Paul is just trying to help us understand God's way, the right way of traveling through life. We're gonna cover a number of verses today, but I wanna start just by reading two verses. So stand with me if you would. Ephesians chapter number four. Ephesians chapter number four. And I wanna read just two verses today. Ephesians chapter four and verse number 17. And then we'll jump down to verse number 20. Paul writes this. This I say, therefore. Now, Again, that therefore, he's referring back to in, in from uh, chapter four all the way to chapter six, Paul is referring back to the first three chapters. I've told you about Jesus. I've told you about new life. I've told you about grace. I've told you about Jesus saving you from sin and the penalty of sin and all that you have, all the giftedness that is wrapped up in Christ. Now, therefore, because... Because of everything that you have in Christ, because of all the grace that God places in your life, because of everything I've written, here's what I'm gonna challenge you with. So he says, this I say therefore, and testify in the Lord that ye, that you henceforth from here on out, that you walk not, don't live as other Gentiles walk, as other Gentiles live in the vanity of their mind. Skip down to verse number 20, because Paul writes this. Ye have not so learned Christ. What's what's Paul saying in this passage? These two verses are gonna help us unpack the entire passage before us this morning. But Paul is simply saying this. The world, the Gentiles, those who don't know Christ, that's the reference, they travel through life one way. But that's not what Jesus teaches. And Paul proceeds to show us what Christ teaches. The the world is living one way, but I wanna show you the right way. Let's pray and then we'll get into our message this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Would you simply ask God to speak to you? You can pray something simple. Dear God, please speak into my life today.
And then would you make a commitment? God, if you speak to me today, I'm going to listen to you. Dear Lord, thank you so much for the day and thank you for your love and your care for us. Thank you for the opportunity to be in church. And God, I pray that this morning you would help us to hear exactly what you want us to hear. I pray, Lord, that as we go through the day, Father, that our ears and our heart would be attentive And Lord, that you would use your word to speak to each one of us. We love you, God. We thank you for loving us. And we pray that you would work. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You go ahead and be seated. If we're going to go through life the the way that God desires, the right way, then uh, maybe the, 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 really the way that God intended for us, the way that God strengthens us to live it, then there's a few things that we have to know. The first thing that Paul points out that I believe every single one of us need to remember, need to not forget, is the fact that we live, we live, we travel, we journey through life in a corrupt culture. We journey through life in a corrupt culture. Something just happened. Did you lose me? There I am. Can you hear me now? We live, we live, we travel through life in a corrupt culture. What, what do we mean by this? Go, if you would, to verse number 17, and let's continue the thought that Paul had. Because he says this, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to walk or to work all uncleanness with greediness. In these verses, there's really just a simple challenge from Paul to not go through life like those who don't know Christ. That's really the simple thought that Paul is getting. Walk not, don't live as other Gentiles walk, as the lost travel through life. Well, how does the lost travel through life, or how does culture, a culture without Jesus, how do they live? Well, Paul defines it. He says, number one, they live in the vanity of their mind. In the vanity of their mind. What does this mean? The phrase, in the vanity of their mind, it simply means that they are morally deprived in their mind. Just like you and I were without Jesus, the thinking of the lost person, someone who doesn't know Christ, it is vain, it is empty, it is futile. The the root word in in this passage, or in this verse particularly, it means useless or pointless or of no effect. And how many people have you met that they don't know Jesus Christ, or maybe you were at this point when you didn't know Christ, and you thought, what is the point to life. And you thought that, and there are some of you in this room that before you knew the Lord, you even said that to me. I just, I just don't know what is the point to life. What is that? That's the vanity of the mind. We live in a culture, hey, we live in a culture of people that think emptiness. Their life is filled with emptiness. They're deprived. 
They're morally bankrupt. We live in the culture who are living in the vanity of their mind. We live in a culture, Paul continues, of people who are distant from God. People who are distant from God. Do you see it where he says in verse number 14, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their own heart? What is he describing here? He's describing a people who are alienated, separated, distant from God. Those who don't know Jesus Christ, they, like you and I, before Christ, they were blind to the truth of their need of God. They are blind either because they have not, they have not heard or because they choose to ignore truth. People who are distant from God. How else do they live? Well, the Bible, Paul continues, they live apathetic and selfish. Our culture, now we're talking about a culture that doesn't know Jesus Christ. We're talking about people who have no hope. They don't have forgiveness like you before you knew Christ. You lived with emptiness of mind, with vanity in the mind. You lived distant from God. You and I lived apathetic and selfish. What does he, where does he say this? Verse number 19. Who being past feeling, they have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness, the word past feeling, it means to become apathetic. The words lasciviousness and uncleanness and greediness, those words all point to selfish desires and to be driven by selfishness. In the lost culture around you, the lost culture around me, they live with a, a deep care for me and me alone. I mean, I really think, and I believe you would agree with me today, that probably one of the words that we could use to define the culture around us is selfish. Man, people are in it just for themselves. And this is what Paul is writing about. Hey, a culture that is without Jesus, they are vain in their mind. They're empty. They're going through life, and they're completely wrapped up in self, and they're apathetic. I mean, we live in the midst of people, a culture that just doesn't care what God thinks and doesn't care what anybody else thinks. And all of these things, they, all of these types of uh, uh, character, they lead to a life with no substantial purpose. And since the lost don't know God, they, they can't really understand the world around them, nor can they understand themselves. This is why I get frustrated with Christians that get upset when lost people act like lost people. Well, don't they know better? Did you? Hey, pause. Think about this for just a moment. How many Christians, and I say this often, we, we can live a pharisaical Christianity where we look down our noses at people around us that don't know Christ and we get all upset and everything. Hey, what if, what if there was a Christian in your life that treated you that way? Man, it might've kept you distant from God, huh? 
Boy, God, help us to not look at the culture around us. And, and we're, you'll see where I'm going. With, we, we're, we'll wrap it all, tie it all nicely, hopefully, with a cute little bow and everything this morning. But you'll see where I'm going with this. But the fact of the matter is, we live in a corrupt culture. And culture is corrupt because people are without Jesus. And that's what Paul is writing. They're alienated. They're selfish. They're apathetic. Paul described it this way in the book of Romans chapter 1. Verse 21 through 25, here's how Paul described the culture he lived in. Now, this is crazy. This is Paul describing his culture. Notice this. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but they became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to become wise, to be wise, they became fools. And they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also, he gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. Now, I know going through that and maybe reading it at surface value, you'd say, well, what is he describing? He's describing our culture. People who profess themselves to be wise, but they're fools. You think about this, culture today possesses a great deal of knowledge, but very little wisdom. Culture's thinking is futile, empty, vain. Why? Because it's darkened or kept in the dark from Christ. I mean, humanity thinks that they are enlightened and yet they reject the Bible and they believe the the latest philosophies. And isn't it interesting how the pendulum swing just happens from one belief to the next and people, your friends and neighbors and coworkers and the lost people that you know in your life, at one time they said, no, 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 that is wrong. But now they're saying, well, you know, it just doesn't matter. I mean, truth is relative you know, and your truth may be a different truth from my truth. No, truth is truth. Culture is corrupt. I don't think you're convinced today. So I'm gonna try to convince you in the next couple of minutes that culture is corrupt. Well, why, pastor? Why would you convince us of this? Because in order to get where we're going, it is wise, and this is what Paul is writing about, it is wise for you to understand that you live in a corrupt culture. If you don't believe me, just turn the news on for about five minutes. You realize that the Bible says that things are going to get worse until Jesus comes and raptures us home. Let me just give you a few statistics of things in our world right now. In 2020, nearly 46,000 people died by suicide. That's one death every 11 minutes for the entire year. Statistics say that many adults think about suicide or attempting suicide. During that year, it's reported that 12.2 million seriously thought about suicide. 3.2 million made a plan for suicide and 1.2 million attempted suicide to no avail. Well, why would someone take their own life? Because they don't see a purpose to it. Because it's empty, it's futile, it's vain. In our world, we see prisons 
filled because of crime. You see that at least one in four women and one in seven men are victims of severe violence from a partner at some point in their life. What does this point to? Relationship struggles and struggles within the home. Think about it, divorce and adultery and abuse and domestic violence and all types of relationship challenges, they are just constant in our community. I mean, I, I literally get phone call after phone call after phone call from people associated with us or people outside of our church that say, Pastor, we just don't know. I just don't know what's going on. I just, well, why? Because we live in a corrupt culture. We live in a culture without God and it literally, sin just seeps into every area of culture, doesn't it? Alcohol and drug abuse is running wild. They say by the year 2030, the number of people using drugs is projected to increase by 11%. Now that may not be a lot to you, 11%, that's not much. But when you have like 11% of like 6 million, and, and it's more than that. But when you have 11% of a number like that, it's astronomical. Single family homes are increasing more and more. About 19 million children below the ages of 18 lived with a single parent in the year 2021. We see all of the gender issues taking place and gender dysphoria. And we, we, just, we just went through this in our, in our uh, um, um, uh, avoiding confusion growth groups, understanding that are there people, and there's, in this room there are generational differences. So there's, if I can say it this way, there's an older generation, a more seasoned generation that would just say, well, that's absurd. Don't you know? And just have that mindset. And there's a younger generation. Did you know that 25%, this is an absolutely mind-blowing statistic, 25% of Gen Z, that's people uh, 25 and younger about. 25% of them identify as something other than the gender they were born. 25%. Well, why is that? Well, Paul just told us. Because the mind has been blinded. Because culture is corrupt. Because the devil is trying to take away anything that would resemble God. And God created male and female. And so because of that, what happens? The world attacks that. The devil attacks that. Man, our world is a corrupt culture. Think about the abortion in our country. And I speak into this often. When we just covered these, again, in that avoiding confusion, we hit, we hit the hot topic buttons like this. You think about abortion on the rise and millions, millions killed through abortion. Crime, murder, theft, fraud. These are just recent headlines in our last couple of years. Police say morale is plunging, violent crime surging. Criminals walking free, street violence on the rise. Man, just turn on the news. What are, you, what are you getting at, pastor? It's corrupt. How about the shooting at Uvalde, Texas this last week? 
I don't care what your politics are and I don't care what you say should happen or shouldn't happen. I don't care what you think was the problem or wrong problem or wrong decision or right decision. I just simply am making the point this morning that this happened because culture is corrupt. Well, no, it happened because of a young man that just didn't, you know, eat a, no, it happened because this world is deprived and without Christ. Man, without Jesus. For some believers, they, they're like, you know, that it's a bird that hides its head. An ostrich, thank you. I almost said flamingo and I knew that wasn't right. <laughs> Maybe they do because they're pink. I mean, I would, have, I would hide my head if I looked like that. But Man, what does an ostrich do? They just bury their head. You know what some Christians do to regarding, listen, regarding cultural events, you know what a lot of Christians do? Out of sight, out of mind. I'm in my own little Christian bubble, so I never hear about anything. I never do anything. The only times I, I, I pay attention to anything is if my kids are in the headline because of some sport or something. That's the only time I open up a newspaper. It's the only time I ever pay attention to anything. Hey, listen, you know what a Christian should do? We should be able to turn on the news, pray for situations, but all of these statistics all of the time should remind the believer, hey, this is, what we, this is the groundwork we have to get to. The first point's the longest one. We have to get to this thought and understanding that we live in a corrupt culture. Because that's where Paul starts here. And what does he say? He says, you live in a corrupt culture, don't walk or live or travel through life like culture. And so if we're going to know the right way to travel through life, we have to remember first off that we live in a corrupt culture. Secondly, We've got to notice and recognize that we learned a Christ-like mind. We are instructed in, we are taught in a different way, a better way, a right way. Not because we are better than the lost around us. Not because of that. No, because God has a better way. Notice verse 20 down through verse number 24. Paul writes this. You have not so learned Christ. If so, be that you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Here's the challenge that you would put off concerning the former conversation or lifestyle of the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lust, and that you would be renewed or made new in the spirit of your mind, that you would put on the new man, which, is at, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. What is Paul saying? He's saying, hey, the, the lost, the lost culture, they... They are corrupt and they're alienated from God. They're distant from him. They're apathetic. They're selfish. They are driven by emptiness. There is no purpose. But what does he say here? He says, this is contrary to what you know about Christ. This is all contrary. You have not so learned Jesus Christ. No, this isn't what you know to be true in Jesus. This is not the understanding that you have from the Lord. If you have heard him and you've been taught by him and you've been surrounded by his truth, then you know that the call of Jesus is to put off the former lifestyle, the old man. The old man in scripture is often a reference to uh, the lost sin nature, the, the nature that we're born with in this world. We are all born sinners, 
For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We are all born sinners. I use the illustration often. You don't have to teach a child how to sin. You know, you don't, don't sit little junior down and say, all right, now this is how you lie to mommy and daddy. And this is how you, this is how you yell and throw something at your sister. And then, now every, every kid knows how to do that. I know how to do it really well. I'm about to admit something my mom will say amen to. I was a wicked sinner. Yeah, thank you. Man, you don't teach a kid to sin. We're born sinners. We're born the old man, the old humanity, the old sin nature. But what happens? Well, when you trust Jesus Christ, that old sin nature is killed. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, he died for the sin of mankind. So your sinful nature, that, that when you place your faith in Jesus, that sin, it is gone. It is, it is, it is uh, forgiven, past, present, future. As far as, our, uh, as far as the east is from the west, our sins are so far removed from us and from, I mean, they are uh, eradicated by the forgiveness of the blood of Jesus Christ and the holiness that is wrapped up in his uh, sacrifice that we'll see next week is a sweet-smelling savor to God. It was something special. What did it do? It eradicated all of your sin. But, do you know what a lot of Christians do? We have the old sinful, is that a coat, Mom? What is this, your little shawl? that right oh <clears throat> listen if once you trust Christ <laughs> put your phones away <laughs> once you listen once you trust Christ to save your the old and follow this the old is removed the sin nature it's a sinful sinful thing <laughs> my mom's shawl Okay, it's, let, let's let it represent the old nature. Once you trust Christ as Savior, God says, great, forgiven. It's all gone. But every day, every day, even though that sin nature is gone, we still live in this thing called the flesh that was controlled and driven by sin nature. Now, now it should be controlled by the Holy Spirit. We'll see that in just a second. But what decision we make every day is we make the decision to pick up that which we used to be engaged in. And we put it back on. And here's what Paul is saying. Don't walk, don't live that way anymore. Put off Put off the old lifestyle and put on the new. Well, how do we do that? How do we put off the old and put on the new? Thank you. <clears throat> Look at the next part. He says to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. To be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Did you know that Living a new Christian life, living in a, a, a uh, uh, in the new man, it's a choice that you and I make every single day, and it's a choice that is made in the mind. I've given this before, but the simplest illustration of this out of Scripture is the song that they sung today out of John chapter number eleven. 
Lazarus. Lazarus, he'd been dead and in the grave for four days. You know the story. And Jesus and his disciples, they arrived to Bethany and Mary and Martha greet him. And Martha, she says, you know, Lord, I mean, I wish you would have come. And he says, well, where is he? And, and Martha and Mary say, well, by now, behold, by now he stinketh. You know, I mean, the body's decayed. He stinks for sure. And Jesus goes and he says, remove the stone. And you know, he, they removed the stone. And what did Jesus say? He says, Lazarus, come forth and rise up. And Lazarus comes out. And as he comes out, scripture teaches that he's still in those old grave clothes. He's still wrapped up in those death clothes. You know, the next command that Jesus gives, he says, loose him and let him go. What's that mean? Take off those grave clothes. Why? Because he who was dead is now alive. This is what Paul is writing about. You who have Christ, you were dead. You, you had that sinful lifestyle. You had that futile thinking. You had all of that. But now you are made new in Christ. Salvation is a miracle of a moment. And salvation, did you know salvation begins in the mind? The word that is often used for salvation is the word repentance, to repent, to turn the other way. When you and I repent, we are having a change of mind. And here's what Paul is writing to these Christians. Hey, now that you have Jesus, you should go through this life thinking differently. Being renewed in the spirit of your mind, made new, renovated, remodeled in your mind. Because with Christ comes new perspective. Salvation and trusting Christ and receiving forgiveness, it begins with that change of mind and the whole outlook of a person will change when they trust Jesus Christ. And what changes? Well, their values and their goals and their interpretation of life and their purpose. What changes? I go from being apathetic and selfish to now having purpose that's savior-driven. I go from having an empty life with, no, with nothing to fulfill me to now having a life in Jesus Christ where I find fulfillment and I find reason to wake up tomorrow and I find purpose. And this is all that Paul is talking about. And what an amazing difference that Jesus Christ makes. I love my mother-in-law's testimony. My in-laws, if you know Greg and Terry Perkins, uh, pastors up in Republic, and they got saved later in life. They were both in their 20s when they received Christ. I think Terry might have been 19 or 20. But she gives, and it's incredible when she talks about it. She says, you know, before I was saved, I agreed with all of the philosophies of the world. If you know Terry, her and Hannah both, they're kind of like hippies at heart. <laughs> I got to say that about my wife, she's a little hippie at heart, and it's okay. But Terry, she was like a worldly hippie at heart before she trusted Christ. So, so if you can, and I won't elaborate, but if you can imagine it with me, everything's fine. Like, Every, all the beliefs, drugs, and that's when Roe v. Wade and all of that was happening, and she was totally fine. And I mean, just like, well, yeah, everybody, freedom, and all this, the, the, the mindset of that hippie revolution that was there. Terry will say, that was me. But then she says, but when I trusted Jesus, and when I started opening up the pages of his word, I began to realize that's not him. And from her words, her testimony, 
God began to change my thinking. What was happening? Well, it's the fact that our mind continually changes as we invest the mind of Christ into it. And this change in our mind, this renewing, this remodel, this renovation in our thinking, as we fill our mind with the things of God, God begins to change us from the inside out. And the better I understand the word of God, the better I know the son of God, the, the, the better that I do that, I get that because of the Bible, because of scripture, that renovation really takes place in my life because of his word. And here's what Paul is saying, and don't, don't miss it today. Paul is saying, don't live like the lost culture around you. Instead, be renewed in your mind by learning the Lord. Because as you learn the Lord, he, renew, he makes your mind new. I don't apologize for this. I say the number one thing the devil fights in every believer's life is you getting in the word of God. He hates it. He hates it. Because he knows the power of it. And here's Paul saying, hey, don't walk like the world. Don't live like the world. Understand that you get closer to the Lord through truth. Thy word is truth. Psalm 119, 9 through 11. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against God. As our mind understands the truths of God's word, it gradually is transformed by the, by the spirit. This is the renewal of the, of the mind. One man said it this way, physically you are what you eat, but spiritually you are what you think. Proverbs 23, 7, as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. This is why it's so important for Christians to daily spend time in the word of God and in prayer and in fellowship with other believers and talking with people and having conversation that highlights Jesus Christ. What is this doing? It's renewing my mind. We must learn a Christ-like mind. And so here's Paul. He's helping us this morning. He's helping us know that we live in a corrupt culture, but we know the right way to live. God's way. And here's what we want to look at today is the fact that when we remember that we live in a corrupt culture and when we understand that Jesus Christ teaches us something different, then third and lastly today, we can lead a changed life. We can lead a changed life. This is the most important point, the point that Paul is getting to because he's going to give, uh, help us understand that God gives you grace. God gives you strength to not live like the culture around you. It's the same principle that he wrote in the whole book of 1 Corinthians that while, while you and I live in the world, we are not of the world because if you have Jesus Christ, he enables you to be different. He changes you from the inside out and it all happens because of his grace. Now, what does a changed life look like? Number one, it's a life of truth. It's a life of truth, Ephesians 4.25. Wherefore, hey, because of this, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Hey, because you're a new person in the Lord, there's a new way of thinking. You need to make the decision to cast off lying. 
Be a person who speaks truth. Be a person of honesty. Isn't it sad in our culture how many people are just okay with lying? What's even more disheartening is when Christians are okay with it. Here's what Paul writes, cast off lying. Wherefore, put away, cast off. It's, it goes back to put away the old man. Cast off lying. Love truth. In our home, the, uh, the, the, the sin of lying and dishonesty early on, that was the biggest, I'm like, that's the biggest deal in our house. I mean, like, there, there's no such thing as a white lie. And I, I, we, were, we were very um, particular growing up, growing, with the kids growing up and still to this day, that if there's ever a, a little bit of dishonesty, man, we are on it. I wanna be on it. Why? Because I want my kids to grow up and understand that truth matters. Like, that's a biblical point. The truth will make you free. Like, yes, the application and the specific interpretation is about Jesus and the cross and the truth of Christ, but the principle is all throughout Scripture, truth makes you free. Man, wherefore, put away lying. Hey, if you know Christ, put away lying. Be a person that that speaks truth even when it hurts. Don't be okay with lying. Have your mind made up that there are no white lies. There are no little lies. A lie is a lie and truth is truth. And Paul wrote to the church, the believers at Rome, let us walk honestly. Peter said, have your conversation, your life honest among those around you. Hey, don't be that Christian that calls in. I'm I'm sorry, I'm saying it. Don't be that Christian that calls in sick when you're not sick. Pastor, why'd you have to go there? No, listen, let's be, let's like, think about it. I think the only, the only time, though, the only time that lying is acceptable is when there's a surprise birthday involved. <laughs> right? Because you're not really lying. You're just like, hey, I'm just not telling you the full truth right now. But think about it. When it comes to life, for a Christian, we should have a, a life of truth. What else does a changed life look like? Not only a life of truth, but a life of controlled emotions, a life of controlled emotions. Verse number 26, Paul said, be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. A changed life is gonna be a life of controlled emotions. Anger is an emotional response caused by something that displeases us. And in itself, anger is not a sin. I mean, the Bible teaches that even God got angry. Numbers, Jeremiah, Daniel, other places talks about the anger of the Lord. But this is the holy anger of God, and that's a part of his judgment against sin. But unfortunately, many of us, we justify our anger, but our anger is not a righteous, holy anger. Our anger is because things didn't go the way we wanted them to. And it's difficult to practice true, holy anger or righteous indignation because our emotions are tainted by sin. And we don't have the same knowledge that God has towards matters. And so God, he sees everything clearly and he knows everything completely and we do not. And so the biblical principle here, the New Testament principle to believers is that we should be angry at sin and loving people. And while it's possible to be angry and not sin, probably more often than not, we are angry with sin. (laughs) So what's a principle I can derive from this? The 
I think a thought is that God desires that we would live a life having controlled emotions. Don't be quick to get mad at everybody. Don't be quick to control situations with your emotions. I'm gonna speak to husbands and wives right now for just a minute and parents because I think that all too often parents, husbands try to control their wives, wives try to control their husbands and parents try to control their kids through emotional manipulation and having emotions that, that kind of speak into the marriage and in the family and the man, it's the anger. Well, if you don't, then I'm gonna. And with the lady, it's, I can't believe <laughs> how, how dare you? And you know what? I'm, I'm speaking to myself this morning. A, a changed life is controlling the emotions, allowing the Holy Spirit this is, this is one of the fruit of the spirit of leaning into the Holy Spirit and allowing him to control us and allowing him to provide temperance. The life of controlled emotions. Notice also it's a life of intentional protection. Verse number 27 says, neither give place to the devil. Give, neither give place to the devil. You know, the Christian should do is we should not give the devil conditions to work in our life. We should live a life that has the right conditions for the mind of Christ to flourish, not giving place to the devil. And the verse 26 leads right into that because when you are angry and you let the sin go down upon your wrath, you're given, when you're controlled by your emotions, you're giving the devil that foothold into your life. So instead, we should live a life of intentional protection, putting up those guards in our life to keep us right with the Lord. It's a Changed life is a life of hard work and generosity. Verse number 28, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. A person who is saved doesn't live like the world, just kind of taking what isn't theirs. They instead have a desire to work hard, to work hard and be able to live a life of generosity. A follower of God should be a generous person because we recognize that this life belongs to him and we are simply stewards of what he puts into our life. And then lastly today, it's a life of edifying words. Verse 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And the follower of Jesus Christ we should allow God to change our mind and it produces a change in our words. And when people think about a change in our words, they immediately think about vulgar speech or crude speech or swear words, but it just says corrupt communication. That means worthless or rotten speech. A change in our thinking will lead to a change in our speech. No longer will our words be pointless, but our words will be spoken with purpose. And what's the purpose? To edify or build up or strengthen the people around us. So what is Paul saying in all of these verses? He's simply getting at this thought. We live in a corrupt culture. but We, we can live, we have a different way. If you know Jesus Christ as your savior, then you have learned 
a different way. You have learned the right way. And all of it starts, all of it starts with a renewal in our mind that takes place through the word of God. And so I wanna encourage you today as we close out and bring in some final application and two, two quick questions. I wanna challenge you today that when you turn on the news this week and you're disheartened by the things around you, and you're caused some frustration because of that coworker, or you're caused some irritation because of that teacher or that classmate or whatever, instead of having the pharisaical mind of like, well, I'm glad I'm not like them, have the mind of, man, God, this is a corrupt culture. And so God, help me to be different. Because when I'm different, you know what happens when you live different? You know what happens when you are renewed in the, your thinking and when you don't talk like, live like, act like, think like, emotionally controlled like? You know what happens when we're not like corrupt culture? People see it. They don't see it because they're like, wow, you're a really special person. They say, wow, there's just something different about you. Like, what is it? Well, I have Christ in me. You never know the doors that God could open if you and I would recognize the right way. Hey, this world lives apathetically and selfishly. They don't care and they're consumed with themselves. We should not travel through life the same way. I should travel through life with purpose and with a care to walk with God and to use my life to honor and glorify him. This I say, therefore, walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind because their understanding is darkened. They've been separated from God, but you, you have learned a different way in Jesus. So this week, embrace his way. Embrace his truth. Embrace his principles. Let him change you from the inside out. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.